Pastor Ed Taylor on where we should be looking in difficult days like these. There's rewards for being good. And there's a lack of rewards for not being good. And there's much truth to that. But do you know there's also pain for doing good? And people that do bad are often rewarded for doing bad. And so the key is to remember to keep our eyes on the Lord, especially when things are hard. This is amazing grace. When we're wronged or suffering for doing good, we can so easily grow discouraged and complain about it. But today on Abounding Grace, we'd like to help you see it as an opportunity. People will be observing your response and they may have some questions too. Pastor Ed Taylor will help us be ready for them and use these golden opportunities to point people to Jesus. We're in 1 Peter chapter three. Take your Bibles, open them, would you, to 1 Peter chapter three. 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to pick up in verse 13 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Connected to Last Time, What Do I Do When I'm Wronged? Part 2. As believers in the first century are in great difficulty and trial, times are tough, families are struggling, situations are serious, not everything is going the way that they would like, and that's really an understatement, and that could be the description of your life. Not everything's going the way you would like. But it really doesn't describe the difficulty that you're experiencing. It's almost as if there's not the right kind of words to describe the feelings that you're going through, the tension that you're feeling, the worry, the anxiety, the wrestling. It's more than just inconvenience. I think things start with inconvenience, but it's more than inconvenience. It's a disruption of the comfort and ease that we've become so, com- so familiar with. And for the first century believers, their lives are on the line, literally. There's no other way to say that. Nero has put a death sentence on Christians, and he has stirred up the king, the empire, to turn against them by lying about them and blaming them for the bad behaviors that he himself committed. And they're really in a tough spot. Every part of their life is being tested and challenged. As we've seen, Peter, he speaks to them about remembering that we're pilgrims. Keep a pilgrim mindset. It's hard for us to grasp that, but many studies ago, we, we learned that that word means we're just passing through. This is not our permanent home. It is, it is a place where we are to be used and yielded to God in all that he desires. The rest of the book really describes what it is to be a pilgrim and a sojourner on the earth. Good times, or in this case, in bad times. And that's how he starts out by reminding us right in verse 1 of chapter 1, he writes to the pilgrims, to those that have been dispersed. But then he reminds them that they're chosen, they're elect. 
that Jesus in verse 3 has by his abundant mercy begotten us again to a living hope that it seems like we're surrounded by death, but God has given us a living hope. How? By the resurrection of Jesus, that there is life after death. We have an inheritance, verse 4, that's incorruptible. And then verse 5, for those that have a sensitive conscience, we're reminded, hey, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, no matter what difficulties, you are kept by the power of God. You're not kept by your good works. You're not kept by your perfect behavior. You're not kept by your performance. You're kept by the power of God. And he says in verse 6, you greatly rejoice. Verse 10, he talked about how the salvation you and I enjoy, the prophets wanted to experience, and they didn't even get to experience it. Then he speaks up in in verse 13, teaching us, hey, gird up the loins of your mind. That's where the battle is. In your mind, stay sober. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that's to be brought to you. Obedience, verse 14, was emphasized. This is chapter 1. Not conforming yourself to lust that you lived before. But rather, the one that's called you as holy, you too live a holy, separated life. He jumps down to verse 22. He says, since you've, this is chapter 1, you purified your souls in obeying the truth, then love one another. Let that be expressed in true love, brotherly, fervent, on fire, remembering that you've been born again, not something that's corruptible, but incorruptible. And then verse 22. One of chapter two, he says, lay aside the malice and the guile and the hypocrisy. Don't let it be a part of your life. Desire the pure milk of the word so you might grow, if indeed. Or remember that word could be translated, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. You come to him as a living stone, verse four. You were rejected by men, which is what they're personally experiencing, but you have been chosen by God. And together, verse 5, we're living stones. We're the body of Christ being built up, a spiritual house. And then he says in verse 11, abstain from fleshly lust. I beg you again as sojourners, stay away from the flesh. Don't feed it. Say no to it. Have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Have a good testimony. And how is that testimony? Well, then we got into some really challenging practical truths that Peter, Pastor Peter, tells a group of men and women, boys and girls, families that are under great unfair persecution by the government. He said, submit to them. Submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, which we learned that the line that's drawn is up into sin. The government cannot tell you and command you and demand for you to sin. You're not to submit to that order. But up until that line, yeah, but Ed, I don't like it. I don't want this. Uh, Get in line. But that's what the word submission means. Fall in line, remember. It's a military word. It means to fall in line. He says, submit. This is how a sojourner lives. Not only that, but submit in business. Now, of course, the business side of this was a very horrific, horrific relationship between the slave master and slaves. And he says, for you Christians that are under that heavy yoke, submit. We applied that into our own day as the employer-employee relationship. Not even close to what the first century slaves of the Roman Empire faced. But it does provide an avenue and an atmosphere for us to really deal with us not liking to be told what to do. 
even when we're paid for it, even when there's an exchange of money. It's a lot like the parable uh, where the, the, the owner gave money at different times to different people and, to, and sent them into the field to work. Uh, but the one that went the last and worked the least got paid of the first, got paid the same as the first one that went in and worked the most. And he got upset about it. And as the parable goes, he's like, wait a minute, didn't you agree? Didn't we agree that this is what you want? Yes. But then when you started to compare with others, well, I don't like my deal. I want a new deal now. And even graciously, God allows new deals in the employment realm to be made. But the heart is submission, to learn to submit. And then the example was not another person. They didn't say, look at your leader, look at me, Pastor Peter. He said, no, you were called to this, verse 21. This is chapter 2, because Christ suffered for us. We're to follow in his steps. And when you're dealing with the difficulties in your life, and you turn to the scriptures, and you see what Jesus, you hear what Jesus taught, and you see what Jesus did, I want to encourage you, don't be so quick to dismiss the teaching and the example of Jesus when you're looking for answers in your life. Especially when the teachings and example of Jesus is so contrary to what you think the right answer is. Jesus would come on the scene in the first century and what would he say? You have heard it said, but I say to you, you're used to hearing teachings this way. You're used to hearing God represented this way. But I want to tell you as God in human flesh, this is how it really is. And you want to be refreshed in that in a culture that seems to, even among Christianity, want, wants to prop up your comfort and ease and wants to prop up things that don't speak necessarily to your sojourning. Just open up to Matthew chapter 5 and begin to read the Beatitudes. So different then and now to what we would expect is the blessed man and the blessed woman. And it will refresh your mind. Well, the trials in the first century church, when we get to chapter 3, they also, had, they also started to see strife in their marriages. So he speaks to the wives about being submissive to their husbands, even those husbands that aren't obeying the word. Same principle, up into sin. And it is a hard situation. And it is difficult, wives, for you wives in particular that are in that position today. But the Bible says what it says. And God enables you to obey his word. He enables you. And I'm sorry that you're married to a husband that doesn't obey the word. It makes it very hard for you. But the principle is the same. Because someone has sinned against you, does not give you permission to respond in kind. Someone else's sin does not give us permission to respond by sinning against them. And husbands, with the verses that we're instructing to wives under great duress, now he says to the husbands, you learn to dwell with your wives. Pay attention to them. Understand them value them, give honor to them. And we went through all this verse by verse. And he says in verse 8 of chapter 3, be of one mind. And then he jumps into verse 9, and he says, don't return evil for evil. 
When so much evil surrounded you, it's very natural to want to respond with evil. That's a natural response. It's not the supernatural response. It's the natural one. And I know in my life, and I'm sure you can agree, I don't merely want to live a natural fleshly life. I want to live a supernatural, holy, righteous life empowered by God. And then when evil comes to me, I don't even, I'm not there yet, but I don't even want to think about revenge, let alone do it. I don't even want to have the thought anymore. I want to learn, as this says, hey, on the contrary, blessing. And one of the biggest blessings that you can offer when evil is done to you is not to return evil for evil. You are blessing that person. And one of the greatest blessings, not only for them, but, but for you, is not to become all bitter about it and defile yourself after the other person's already moved on to do the next thing and then do the next thing. And that's what we looked at in our time last time, picking up now in verse 13. With all that in mind, he says, And he, who is he that will harm you if you become followers of good? Who is it that will harm you if you become followers of good? But even if you should, but even if it happens. So what he's saying is, this is a general statement that says, generally, good people are not harmed on purpose. Living a general good life. And this is, this is a real interesting thing to understand as you're sharing the gospel because there are a lot of good people in your life. Moral, upstanding, law-abiding, but separated from God. And you, it would do well to acknowledge in, in one of your friend's life, your boss's life, like you're a good person. There's nothing wrong with telling someone that you're good. I wish there were more people like you in this world. And just validating the good behavior. And, and there does seem to be still, in many cases, like, hey, look, if you do good, you can sidestep a lot of pain. You, you can eliminate a lot of extra pain that you could bring on yourself just by choosing to be good. Now, of course, when you're sharing with your boss or your coworker or your neighbor, being good is not going to bring a person into a right standing with God. But it's going to help them along the way. It's going to help them live a life that is filled with relative blessing and encouragement. But we also need to bring them, and now as we're building a relationship and a bridge with someone, we need to bring them to the place where we, where we can help them acknowledge that being good is not good enough. That we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we're all in need of a Savior. That the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you turn away and repent from your sins, God will save you. And your good life will become better because the motives of your life will now to be glorifying God. Good, there is a good benefit from being a good person. Verse 14 However, believers, this is, not, this is not written to unbelievers, but the application is clear. But to believers, he says, okay, you, you're here and you go, but Ed, I've, I've really done the best I could. I've, been, I've tried to be a good person. I'm a believer. I love Jesus. And so, but I still am treated like this and I'm treated like that. And well, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. You're blessed if you suffer for the right reasons. So if you do good and suffer, there's blessing attached to that. 
And he quotes here in Isaiah, do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. He says in, back in verse 12, notice, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. God sees what you're doing. And his ears are open to your prayers. And the face of the Lord is what? Against those who do evil. By doing good and suffering for righteousness sake, you're on the side of God whose face is against evil. Suffering and persecution, and we have mentioned this many times before, but it's worth being reminded, it's going to come to us all. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, that all who desire to live a godly life or live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Suffering is a part of life. But Peter's saying in the midst of the hardships you're going through, even though suffering is a part, normal part of the Christian life, Peter says this, listen church, don't bring it on yourself. Don't bring it upon yourself. Live a life that doesn't cause trouble. Don't do something stupid and then say, oh, look at me, I'm being persecuted for my faith. No, that's not suffering for righteousness sake. You're reaping what you've sown. You've reaped what you've sown. Let the trouble in your life, to the best of your ability, of course, let the trouble in your life be because you're following Jesus in purity and righteousness. And when you're suffering for doing good, we must choose to focus our attention on the blessing it is to obey Jesus. That's a challenge. Because we are, we were raised this way, many of us. Maybe culturally we picked this up along the way. And, and it's something like this. If you do good, you'll experience good. If you do bad, you'll experience bad. I mean, even when you go to the dentist, for goodness sake, they would have a little treasure chest. If you made it through the appointment, you could always go into the lobby and go into the treasure chest. And you know what was in there? Lollipops. You're like, well, if I can endure the chair. <laughs> I'm taking all my kids there. And even, even adults, you know, you can sneak into the treasure chest too. But if I can endure the chair, if I can do good in the chair, there's rewards at the end. There's rewards for being good. And there's a lack of rewards for not being good. And there's much truth to that. But do you know there's also pain for doing good? And people that do bad are often rewarded for doing bad. And so the key is to remember to keep our eyes on the Lord, especially when things are hard. He says in verse 14, don't be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Now, any of, you, any of you that have experienced a real threat, you know, it goes right to the heart, man. It just cuts right to the heart. And if you're a thinker, you might begin to overthink that threat and go, what happens if? And what if this? And what about? And on and on and on it goes. Like, like you could get, <laughs> like we did recently. Okay, half true story, half exaggeration. I want to give it up front here. So we got a letter from our friends at the association they're unnamed, by the way. We have no idea who they are. But they sent us a friendly letter recently letting us know that we're on notice because we had our trash can out in the morning instead of at night. And that's a threat. If you do this again, you're going to get a ticket. You know, I was thinking, maybe it's the wrong house. Maybe it's my neighbor. And then I started thinking about it. I said, no, no, that was actually me. Uh, I was out early that day, and I took the trash out seven hours early. 
And I got the threatening letter. Now, with a threat like that, some people could overthink that to go, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? They're going to give us a bill, and then they're going to find other things, and then we're going to lose our house. No, just don't take your trash can out early in the morning. And they even put it in the letter. Here's the rule. Take it out at night. Thank you for the reminder. But you get letters that threaten a car repossession. You get a letter threatening to lose your job. You get a letter, and, and he says, don't let threats be a troubling thing to you. Don't let threats be troubling. Trust the Lord with the things in your life you have no control over. And in this condition, you're being treated bad for doing good. You are being persecuted for righteousness' sake. It's not fair. It's unfair upon unfair upon unfair. In that condition comes a very familiar passage, verse 15. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed because it is better if it's the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Rather than being fearful, rather than over-exaggerating threats and antagonism, we learn to commit ourselves afresh and anew to Jesus our Lord. Now, this passage in verse 15 is often the place where a person that's into apologetics will take you to substantiate their ministry, apologetics. And that's where we get this word, apologetics. Defense is the word. It's not, when you hear apologetics, it's the ministry of apologetics is not apologizing for the faith. It rather is the Greek word that means to defend, and to stand for the truth. So a person that's into apologetics, a person that that's a passion for, loves to defend the truth, loves to give uh, knowledge and information that's going to substantiate biblical truth. And it comes from this passage right here. Be ready, set aside your heart and place in your life to defend, give a defense for your faith, a defense for the Christian faith. One reason you need to know what you believe and why you believe it is because people come into our lives all the time and want to know. They ask good questions. Men and women in our lives ask good questions. They have, they, they have, they're very observant and they want to know what you believe and why you believe it. And you know when people really begin to watch your life? It's not just when you say you're a Christian. It's not just when you invite someone to church. It's not just when you do good deeds at the office and maybe you're known for, you know, Fridays bringing in pies or things just to bless everyone. You're just known. It's not those times when they're watching. It's those times when they know that you're in the fire. And now everything that you've said along the way in good times is now being tested. And they're wanting to know why you're still continuing on as a Christian. That's really the essence of this. 
Today on Abounding Grace, we've listened into a portion of Pastor Ed Taylor's study in 1 Peter. If you joined us late or would just like to give this a second listen, go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Have you had a chance to download our app? This is another great way to take in the teaching of God's Word and download it for free today by searching for Ed Taylor. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. Even just a quick hello telling us the station you listen to means a lot. Maybe you didn't realize it, but Pastor Ed reads them. Let us know how we can pray for you, too. You can email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And please remember, Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We look to the Lord to provide and guide. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Lee Strobel's excellent book, The Case for Heaven. This is a must-read for anyone who wonders what's next after we die. As a journalist, he investigates all the evidence for life after death. Call us now at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or go online to calvaryco.store. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from 1 Peter. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.